0: Hey. Hey. hey you're on fire my ear, yeah, sure you you're you're on fire now what exactly does that mean Stop, drop, and roll. well I mean that's that's a thought right I mean what but what what does it mean come on slide person you're gonna have to keep we're gonna go really fast tonight what what does it mean Well, I mean, if I'm Steph Curry, and I say, uh, you're on fire, Steph, well, that certainly means uh, something. You can kind of get the the picture as he's launching three after three, and it goes in the net. If If I look at Steph Curry and say, you're on fire, well, that carries with it a certain connotation. But, I mean, if you guys see these emojis, now that means something totally different, doesn't it? Like if your buddy or or your girlfriend texted you those pictures, that that means something. And oh my goodness, if this emoji comes across the phone, that means something entirely different than those two things, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, if if that wasn't enough, if you're at home with COVID-19 and I say you're on fire, that means something even more different. What in the world? And because it is Halloween, if you are in fact a wicked witch and I'm burning you at the stake and I say you're on fire, that means something entirely different than everything else we've looked at, doesn't it? It's the same. That does mean stop, drop, and roll. And and you're probably at this point like, what in the world is he doing? What is he talking about? And the point that I'm trying to make is context is critical. It's not just the words, all right, but the context around the words is critical. It's important to know why a specific phrase or specific words or a specific book is written. It is absolutely critical. So, tonight, <coughs> excuse me, as we begin our new series on Philippians, the mind of Christ, we are going to spend a little bit of time before we really jump into this book looking at context. Trying to get a little bit of an understanding of what this book is all about before we even begin taking a look at the words. And to begin with, Philippians. What the heck does that mean, right? Like why is it even called Philippians? That's not just a common word that you, you go around. So, so what, what, what is Philippians? What, what, what's that all about? Well, it's all about this. Uh, Philippians, the reason the book is called the book to the church of the, is it was is based on the church in Philippi. So if you look up here where the little green thing is, 10 miles from Neapolis, Philippi was a city, okay, it was a city in what is modern day Greece. All right, it's just a little bit, uh, a little bit, tiny bit west and north of Asia Minor. Philippi received its original name, the reason the city was called Philippi, from Philip II of Macedonia, (coughs) excuse me, who was Alexander the Great's father. Most of you probably don't know who Philip II of Macedonia is, but when you hear Alexander the Great, a light bulb goes off, you've at least heard that name sometime. Well that's what the city of Philippi was named after. It was the setting uh, for the Battle of Philippi which was a really big deal in history. Okay so uh, because when this battle happened it went from the Roman Republic to the establishment of the Roman Empire. Alright so before it was a, a Republic and it was a little smaller thing well at this battle that took place the Roman Empire came through. So if you like Star Wars, all right, the Republic was gone and the Empire was in. And that's exactly what happened in real, real, real life. Now the thing about Philippi is uh, after this great battle and this city was established, many, many Roman soldiers, because this was a big battle, settled there. And that meant that uh, because of that Philippians got to enjoy the privilege of being Roman citizens. Which means that Rome, the Romans would go in and take over things, but not every place got to say that they were citizens of Rome. Uh, you'll hear later in Acts, Paul. Talk, some people will question Paul and they talk about that costing a lot of money to be a citizen of Rome, or you had to be born in specific places. And for the city of Philippi, it was one of those special places, which meant that it got to enjoy uh, some perks. They paid less taxes, they got to, to claim some rights, that other people didn't, didn't get. They got to own some property and stuff like that. And because of that, the Philippians were really, really proud of the fact that they were Roman citizens in this, in this vast empire. They were proud of that. Uh, it was almost an entirely Gentile population. That is, there was not a lot of Jewish people in this area. So like when Paul, uh, he, he always had this pattern, okay? Paul would, would take off, and he would go to a city, and the first place that he would go is to the synagogue, which is like the Jewish church, and it's there that he would begin to share the gospel. That was, his, that was always what Paul did, uh, but when we get in Acts 16, it, it tells us about his first trip to Philippi. This is what it says in Acts 16, 11-13. Setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together." Now, you're probably like, "Well, what, what are you trying to say? Normally, what he would do on the Sabbath day is you would go to the synagogue. In order to establish a synagogue in a city, there had to be ten guys, ten men that were Jewish in order to form a synagogue in a city. And when they arrived at Philippi, there wasn't ten guys to form a synagogue, there were a handful of ladies outside of the city that prayed together on their Sabbath day, on Saturday, and that's where Paul comes up. So it's not got a. this area did not have a tremendous Jewish presence like some of the other places that Paul went to. Most of these people were pagans, they were Roman gods and other, other deities and stuff like that. Who wrote Philippians is super important and I've kind of already alluded to it. Uh, it was the Apostle Paul. Alright, so Paul we've talked about considerably here over time. We talk, he wrote the, when we did our big study on Galatians. Paul was the author of Galatians. Paul was a very uh, respected and well-versed Jewish man who absolutely hated the church. He hated the Christians. As far as that goes, he was responsible for the death of Christians. He was there holding coats when the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. Paul was right there nodding in approval and he he says later on that he cast his vote every time that the Christians would die. But Paul, whose name was Saul at that time, would be on this road to Damascus and he would have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that would change his life forever. And this guy, who was a leader, all right, of, of, of the Jews would, be in, would, would find himself blind for three days hearing the voice of Jesus Christ himself from heaven talking to Saul and calling him into the faith. Matter of fact, giving him a mission field, a job that he would be going to Gentile people to preach the gospel over time. And we see uh, Paul uh, as far as that goes, the early church terrified when Saul shows up scared of him because they knew his reputation as a, as a wicked man and, you know, a zealous Jew that would, that would cast his vote for their death. But God changed his heart and God used him in a mighty way to make a difference. So it's Apostle Paul uh, that, that wrote, and I got this, this cool little artistic uh, rendering. And, but it's not just that it was Paul that wrote this book, but I mean, whatever. There are seasons of our life, and at this season in Paul's life, He was a prisoner. He was a prisoner for his faith, uh, which is really important because, boy, when we start getting into this book and we start seeing some of the, the central themes, you'd be kind of surprised that a guy sitting in prison is the one writing this. But he's in prison for his faith at the time he writes it. And as a matter of fact, this is towards the end of his life. Paul would face lots of persecution, beatings. He would go to jail several, several, several times. He would be shipwrecked. He'd be flogged happened to him for Jesus. So if somebody tells you, oh man, Jesus wants you to have your best life ever right now, that's a crock. That's not true at all. All right, that is, that is not true. Just look at the life of the apostles. That's not what happened for them. It was hard. It's hard to be a Christian in this world. And don't get me wrong. The Lord gives us great stuff in this life. But our best life, my life that I'm looking forward to, is on the other side of eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. And while I get some great things, I love looking at my kids and seeing my little baby smile at me and whatever, getting ready to send my son off to college. Those are great things. I've been blessed. But it is nothing compared to what's on the other side. All right, Paul knew that. And he's getting close here to the end. He's been on trial. This is uh, Paul would end up, I'll just give you a little brief history of what's going to happen to Paul here. Paul's going to be imprisoned in Rome after he faces some stuff in Jerusalem and uh, then he's going to get released for a very short period of time after a couple of years and then he's going to get re-imprisoned when Nero takes takes office and he's going to be killed for his faith very quickly once Nero takes off. So this is this book takes place, and we kind of get the the illusion here, and, I, and I'll kind of go through it. This is during his first imprisonment in Rome, and you can tell by his slightly optimistic tone. We pick it up in Philippians 1, 19 through 20, and this is what he says. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be it all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, rather through life or death. And you can see that Paul carries with him a tone of optimism here that he did not have at the end. And I'll prove that in just a second. And again, in Philippians 2, 23 through 24, he says, I hope... Therefore, to send him, this is Guy Epaphroditus, we'll talk about it in a little bit, just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. So, in other words, he's very soon at this point expecting a verdict on his situation. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, again, at this point in the imprisonment, and that's why we can, we can put this at the first part of his imprisonment, he thinks he's going to be released. In fact, he, he would be. Now, there's a slightly uh, different variation, but we'll get there. When, uh, the, the next question is, when was Philippians written? Now, I thought about this, I spent a lot of time on this, and I, I made this, this fancy, fancy timeline. And uh, oh, you got Paul's conversion about 34 AD, first missionary journey 35 AD, Jerusalem conference, second missionary, blah, blah, blah. And what I want you to see is uh, way over here at the end, all right, approximately 61 AD, is when the book of Philippians was written, which is really close to Paul's life. But when I say 61 AD, uh, the 61 to 62 AD, like, that really doesn't mean anything to you guys any more than if I just, like, looked at you and said, 2019. And you'd be like, okay, yeah, 2019. But... There's the significance about 2019. November of 2019 was of when this church hired me on as a youth minister. So you see, there's a, a numerical year that means one thing, but when you put it in context, well, that's actually a significant thing. So for Paul, when Philippians was written at this time, again, this is Paul in prison. This is Paul, though, in prison and optimistic. That's how I can tell it's his first Roman imprisonment and not his second. And the reason that shows up, if we look at the book of 2 Timothy, which one is one of the last books that Paul wrote, I want you to listen to the change in Paul's tone, okay? So in Philippians, you heard him, oh, I'm, uh, God's going to, I've, I've got, will, you and I are going to see each other again. He's really optimistic. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 18, this is what it says. Do your best to come to me soon. All right, that already, like there's a gravity here. In love, soon for Demas in love with this present world deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. He's talking about a guy that abandoned him. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. That is the, the guy that wrote the book of Luke. He said, you get Mark and you bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, you bring the coat that I left with you at Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Okay, so there's your first imprisonment he's referring to. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, But the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he's talking about this first imprisonment and clearly at that time he was going to get fed to the lions for his faith and God spared him. However, we don't get all the details of that, but Paul's talking about it here. And he says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And he said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he'll bring me safely where into his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen so Paul is writing to Timothy who is like he's like his son he's like a spiritual son he is he has nurtured Timothy along and it's almost like it's his son and he's saying buddy you need to come quick bring whatever important documents that I've got. We've got to deal with whatever these things. I love that he mentions Mark, and we could go on a whole long spiel about the, the conflict with Mark, but at this point, he's being gracious. He knows he's about to die, and he's basically saying, hey, buddy, I love you. I'd like to see you before this happens. I need you to come soon. Bring my coat, it's cold. Paul's in a totally different place That's a totally different tone. You feel a sense of heaviness and gravity as you listen to his words in Timothy, whereas there is this optimism in the book of Philippians, and that's how we can kind of tell when this was written. All right? Why? All right? we got a when. Now we need a why. Why was the book of Philippians written? It's important. A, Paul wanted to thank the church at Philippi. And we'll get into that. We'll we'll get into that. But he, he wanted to say thank you to this church. He also wanted to inform the church of his circumstances. Let him know he's doing okay. Let him know what's going on. Let him know that he received a certain gift that they had sent to take care of him. Paul also wanted to address division in the church. There were some things going on in the church that needed to be addressed, and he's a good pastor. He's trying to take care of this church even though he's not there. Uh, he also wanted to warn the church about false teaching that was creeping in, and he he, he even calls people out by name. Man, he's, he's not scared to do that, and Paul begins dealing with those things and trying to help this church and take care of the church. Uh, what is the theme? Okay, so what's the, we, we, we got a, kind of the basics of what Paul's initial immediate, in other words, there's an immediate context of his intentions. Well, what's the theme? What's, what are we supposed to learn from this book? One, Philippians, it's not like a deep theological book. So if you've come on Romans, Man, we are spending lots of times going over uh, uh, grace and, and sin and, and uh, we're, we're spending a lot of time developing doctrines and helping people understand some deep theological things as we work through Philippians. We spent a lot of time uh, in Galatians talking about justification by faith and what that meant. This is not that kind of book. It is much more practical. All right, it is a practical book on living a Christian life. Paul is trying to encourage this church to live in a Christ-like way, alright, and what that actually means. It's very, very practical, which is really good when we're a bunch of people living in the world and we need to know, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do, how do I need to live my life for you today? Alright, Philippians emphasizes joy, and that is probably the coolest thing about this book, is here is this, this old man in jail for his faith, and man, you're going to see, you're going to pick up on it really, really well. He is joyful. One, as far as that goes, one of the most abused and mis- mis- misused verses in the entire Scripture is based in this book. And when you understand what Paul's really saying, not what we dummies try to make it say, In light of what his situation is, it's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, one of the most encouraging things. And Paul is living that thing out. Philippians spends a lot of time telling us to be joyful because of what we have in Christ. It, It provides some of the most profound teaching on the character of Christ, all right, what Jesus is like and that we're called to emulate. In other words, I've told you guys a million times, it's an amazing thing that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But one of the other, to me, it's, it may be even more amazing, in spite of all my, which is a crazy statement to say, but the fact that Jesus begins the process of sanctification, of, of making me like him, transforming me from the inside out to be a little more like him. And Philippians gives us, what does that actually look like? what is Jesus like? What is he doing in his people? And if I look in my heart and I can see where God is making those changes in me, man, that should be super encouraging. I should be like, dude, like, like he's doing it. You know what I mean? And if I look in my heart and I'm like, oh, ain't none of that going on. Well, then maybe I need to, to, to sit down and ponder some things and consider where my heart really is when it comes to, you know, who is Jesus Christ to me? And with that context set, all right, we're going to start in the book. But we're not going very far. I told you we're going to do two verses. I think I've done pretty good on time. That's that's good. Uh, we're just going to do two verses tonight. You guys can handle two verses, right? I hope so because you're going to be memorizing them if you're participating in this. I am telling you right now. You want this hoodie, okay? i I'm just, it's an, it's an ancillary benefit of doing this, okay? But it's a really good one, all right? You want this hoodie. It's, it's going to be sweet. But here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ so what does that mean like what's this what's this all about and he kind of begins paul begins really really easy he says hello (laughs) it's me paul and i got timothy with me which is another thing that's worth noting there at this time timothy is actually with paul when we read first and second timothy which is much closer To Paul's death, Timothy's no longer with Paul. He's at Ephesus. All right? So, Paul, he begins by just saying, uh, Hey, hello, it's me. It's, It's me, Paul. And then he goes on to this greeting. He identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. And then he says, Grace and peace to you. And I got to thinking about that this week, and I thought, Man, a, I like, if you ever, you know, most of you guys are probably never read my newsletter stuff, uh, but a lot of times when I end my newsletter stuff, I end that with that. I can't say I'm original. I got it from, from Paul, uh, and John MacArthur does that same thing. He says, Grace and peace to you every time. He got it from Paul, too. Uh, it's just a beautiful statement, but I thought, what does that mean? I mean, those are some fancy church words, right? So, what is grace? What, is that, what does that actually mean? Next slide. Next slide, slide, is it frozen? There we go. All right, grace. So what, what does it mean? And so I, I went to my fancy blue-letter Bible. Uh, you know, it gives me this, all the, the biblical definitions. And it, this is what it says. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. That's, that's a pretty great definition, and that's pretty cool. The Lord would like those sort of things for me goodwill, loving kindness, or favor. So we talk about God's unmerited grace. In other words, uh, do not only do we not get what we deserve, because we don't want that, but God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us better in Christ Jesus, that we can be made new, that we can be adopted into his family, that we can have salvation through him. But I like this one. Of the merciful kindness by which God Exerting his holy influence upon souls Turns them to Christ Keeps, strengthens, and increases them In the Christian faith I love that definition of grace That comes from Blue Letter And, and I just The knowledge, the affection, and kindness Whoa That kindles the exercise of Christian virtues So God's grace then in that context not only is do i need god's grace to secure my eternal salvation but god's grace empowers us today to live godly's life it is i need god in other words yep i need god's grace the moment that i'm saved i need god's grace every waking moment of every day for the rest of my life and i just love that we did that song if grace is an ocean we're all drowning i always need God's grace and it is by God's grace and through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me that I am being sanctified and transformed. It is God. He's like the the battery if you you can think about it that way. And that's God's grace. It's active. It's not a a, a one-time thing. It is a constant presence in the life of a Christian. God's grace is good. We should celebrate. We sing Amazing Grace. It is amazing. It is a big deal. What about peace? There are lots of different ideas in the world about peace. It's so funny, we've got so many different ideas and everybody wants peace, world peace, peace this, hey peace, all these different ideas. So what is, what is peace? Uh, it's a state of national tranquility, that's, that's one way of thinking about it. Peace between individuals, uh, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, in other words peace, peace, peace in the culture, uh, but of Christianity. It is the tranquil state of a soul that is assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fearing nothing from God, content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. I love that. Content. In other words, that kind of peace, it is not rooted in outward circumstances. That kind of peace. Have you guys caught on that the world changes? that it's not stable. It changes every 15 seconds. As a matter of fact, it's less than that. So if my peace is dependent on the things around me, I'm not going to experience peace. And when you look in the world, and you see a world in turmoil, and you see a world crying out for peace, the reason they're doing that is because they're rooting that idea of peace on what's on the outside. And that's not where peace comes from. Peace comes from Jesus Christ, and it is an inward peace. It's rooted in Christ and not on outward circumstances. Instead, uh, godly peace is rooted entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I know I've got him in my heart, this can all fall apart. But he's there, and I can have peace, and he's there and I can have joy. And man, things could fall apart. My health could fall apart. My kids' health could fall apart. My, my life could crumble. The economy could fall. I could lose my house. But I could still have peace. And I could still have joy. I could still have contentment in Christ who strengthens me. We're going to talk a lot about that in the weeks ahead. And did you notice something when I read that little passage? You guys realize what I read to you was one sentence. I want you, I'm going to read it one more time here. This is one sentence. I want to see if you catch it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand? No! They are and they aren't, they, yes our God is one, but the, they, Jesus the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are also distinct. But did you notice, three times in one sentence what does Paul say? He says Christ Jesus three times in one sentence. He is trying to emphasize something, wouldn't you say? Like, do you think he's trying to say something really, really, really clear? Uh, Paul proclaims the name of Christ Jesus three times. And here's your helpful tip for life, okay? When you're looking at scripture, and really, even when you're, you're dealing with people in the world, if somebody's telling you something three times in one sentence, I think they're trying to tell you something. You might want to, when your teacher in your classroom says the same thing three times in five seconds, your light bulb should immediately go off. You should write that thing down because that sucker's showing up on the test, okay? And when Paul is saying three times in one sentence, Jesus Christ, you need to listen to what he says and you need to learn. You need to grab hold of that. All right, and, and that emphasis right there on in Christ Jesus is essential to understanding everything that is coming. We're going to talk a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to talk a lot about him. So, same question I always ask. Why in the world does all this matter to me, Sean? I mean, seriously, thanks, thanks for the history lesson. I appreciate that. Why does it matter? Okay. Well, A... Uh, it's a pretty practical book if you call yourself a Christian, and I hope you do. And, and we're going to talk a little. We're going to get to talk a lot about that, about what that means, you know, uh, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to hear His call to salvation, to 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 trust in His work that He did to secure that salvation for you, and then what that means for the rest of your life. Because again, it's not a oh yeah I I uh, believed and trusted in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And then I never think about him again. That's that's not what he's called you into. If you're following Jesus, you're following Jesus for your whole life. It's not just that you flip a switch. It's actually step one. It's the beginning of a brand new life. All right. And the book of Philippians is going to help us understand what that life looks like. What it means to live Christ-like lives. It is also the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, he is our Savior. All right? He did the work that we could never do. He is our example. Uh, I love what Paul says in another book. He says, look, you follow me as I follow Christ. We're called to follow Christ. We are called to emulate this guy, okay? Like, don't fool yourself. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple meant that you went and you studied under that person, you followed that person, you wanted to do and learn to be like that person. That's what it means to be a Christian. All right, We're, He's our example, and, he, and and this is the most important thing, because by your own you, you don't have the power to do this. Not, nobody can. If, 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 if we all had the power to live like Jesus, apart from Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross for us. But the truth is, we don't have that power of our own accord. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus is our source of power. He empowers Christians so that we can live. Christ-like lives. You hear the dumb things people say nobody can ever change. They're not entirely wrong. I would say apart from Christ, very few people change. He has the power to change people from the inside out, to give a brand new lives. For heaven's sakes, talk to me sometime. I am as much a living proof of that as Paul was. My life was definitely different, but it's Jesus that did it, not me. I'm nothing. So with that in mind, I will uh, wish you the same thing that Paul wished his church in Philippians. That is grace and peace to you too, 12. But understand, that grace and the peace, the grace and peace that I want for you and your life, it is rooted in Jesus Christ. You can't get it anywhere else. And the world will try to sell it a million different ways, spin it a million different ways, and all i got to do is flip on the news to see how that's working out for them. It doesn't. Only Jesus Christ has the answer. And if he didn't, I wouldn't be doing this job. I'll tell you that, neither would John. We do it because it's true, because we get to experience it, and we want everybody else to as well. So grace and peace to you guys. I'm going to pray, and then I believe we got a few minutes for small groups tonight. And, you know, just talk, talk. This is just week one. Maybe be a good time, small group leaders, to go over uh, some verses and maybe help some kids along. I know, again, you're like, no, man, I could never do that. Yes, you can, all right? Abe Lincoln was 16 years old. He was not an exceptional student, but he was a lawyer because back then, people told kids that they could do that, all right? You got a whole world telling you all kinds of stuff. I am here to tell you, you can do this. You, you, you are way smarter than the world likes to let you know. You can do it, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace. For peace, uh, Lord, your kind of peace. Peace that can't be taken away. A peace that isn't dependent on things going my way or or anything going on around me. A peace that is rooted in you, that never changes, that is eternal, that was there from the beginning, and you'll be there at the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are my Lord and Savior, Lord. You are my creator. You are my sustainer. Father God, thank you for the privilege of of getting to know you. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we begin this journey through Philippians, Father God, that this book, that, that you would just speak, speak into our lives. Help us to find ourselves in you. And Father, if there is even one person over the course of this journey together that has not yet responded to your call to salvation, Father, I pray you would soften their hearts. Not harden them like old pharaohs. You would soften their hearts open up their ears, open their eyes, Father God, that they could could hear your voice, that they could see your goodness, Father God, and that they would surrender their life to you because it is only in you, Father God. It is only in you that the good life awaits, Father. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for these students. Please bless them and keep them this week and uh, look forward to seeing them next week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.